Luke chapter 1, verse 68 through 79. These are the words of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for the truth of your word, and I thank you for the arrival of Jesus. Amen. There's a Catholic monk and theologian and author named Thomas Merton, and he wrote this. He said, into this world, this demented inn like a hotel in which there's absolutely no room for him at all, Christ comes uninvited. Into this world where there is absolutely no room for him, Christ comes uninvited. Last week, we introduced this series talking about arrival, talking about this Advent series, Expecting the Arrival of Jesus. And we talked about Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, being the season of expectation, anticipation, and hope that Christ will arrive. But the truth is, is that Christ has arrived, and he has been here all along. He, he comes whether he's acknowledged or not. He comes whether he's desired or not. He is constantly pursuing a relationship with us, his creation. Even when we don't invite him, he's constantly pursuing us. He's constantly here. The psalmist said, whether I make my bed in hell or whether I climb the highest mountain, there you are with me. You're always there. And the passage that we read today, it comes from a man uh, in, in the Luke narrative, in the Christmas narrative, uh, a man uh, who was a priest named Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, he was a temple priest in first century, century Israel, and he was married to a woman named Elizabeth, who was the first cousin to marry the mother of Jesus. And one day, while Zechariah was serving in the temple, uh, ministering to the Lord, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told him that he would soon expect a newborn son, and that this son would be a prophet of the Lord, one who would herald and announce the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. This son would be considered a giant in the kingdom of God, a great man in a line of prophets of God. But the only problem was that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were old age. They were past the age of having children. So Zechariah actually argues with the angel. You go back and read earlier in Luke chapter 1. He argues with Gabriel and says it's not possible that he should have such a son. And then the angel assures him 
that what he has said will come to pass. And as a sign of the truth of his words, the angel causes Zechariah to become mute, unable to speak. He can't form words with his mouth. And he stays that way for nine months until the baby is born. So nine months, Zechariah's mouth has been shut. He goes through an entire pregnancy with his wife without being able to speak a word to her. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing for a father. I don't know. And finally, when the baby's born, Zechariah's mouth is opened for the first time. He declares that the boy shall be named John, which is unusual. It should have been named Zechariah, but he's named John, and he is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit, and Zechariah prophesies, and he reads this passage that we read. Just a few key verses from it again. Blessed be God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, that we're delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. And because of the tender mercy of God, he has given us light to those who are in darkness and in the shadow of death, and he is guiding our feet in the way of peace. That's the prophecy that Zechariah gives. Zechariah is declaring that the day of the Lord is coming and that his son, John the Baptist, is to prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is arriving no matter what. Jesus is arriving whether you want him or not. Jesus is coming whether you've invited him or not. John's job is not to prepare Jesus to come. John's job is to prepare us for Jesus' arrival. He's preparing us. He's announcing the arrival of Jesus so that we can be ready to receive him. Christ came uninvited into the world, and we have a choice of whether we'll be the innkeeper with no room for him in our hearts or our families, or whether we'll receive him and welcome him into our very center of our lives. John's job is to announce that Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he does so that when it's time, we will receive him. Zechariah, he prophesies over his son, John, and he says, John, you will grow up to tell the people that Jesus, the Messiah, is arriving. And when he arrives, he won't be arriving empty-handed. When Jesus arrives, he's bringing gifts. He's bringing something with him. Even though John, Zechariah's prophecy occurs at John's birth, Zechariah is actually prophesying about Jesus, about the Messiah coming. He's prophesying that Jesus Christ will bring something when he arrives. And just a few things that Jesus brings when he arrives. Number one, when Jesus arrives, he brings salvation. Amen? Verse 68, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised uh, up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. When Jesus arrives, he brings salvation. He has visited and redeemed his people. The arrival of Jesus means the arrival of redemption. The word redeem, it means to buy or to pay off to clear of a payment. It means to buy back or to recover, to obtain the release or the restoration of something, to free from captivity by paying a ransom. It's important to understand that when Zechariah spoke these words, they surely would have been interpreted politically. God is arriving through the Messiah, and here he is here to redeem us, to restore us, and release us from captivity and oppression of an evil and wicked Roman government. 
Israel had been waiting for hundreds of years for, for this kind of restoration and redemption to be set back in their rightful place as God's people of promise and God's kingdom on the earth to regain control of their land and regain power as a political player in the Middle East. But even though the ones in the room when they heard Zechariah would have thought that way and interpreted that way, God intended much more than political power or national progress. See, a first century Israelite, they would have heard those words and thought, yes, God's going to restore us to the good old days. It'll be like King David was on the throne again. Make Israel great again. That was how they would have interpreted those kinds of words. But while they would have interpreted him looking to restore how things were a few hundred years ago with King David when they were an independent kingdom, God was looking back a few thousand years ago. Listen, when Jesus arrives, he brings salvation and redemption with him. He humbled himself and took on bodily form. He was born of a virgin in a manger. He lived a perfect life and he died a criminal's death, not to give us some sort of nationalist identity or make us great again or give us power and political prestige. No, Jesus did all of that to redeem humanity and restore humanity back to how God originally created us. The Jews of Jesus' time would have said, yes, he's coming and we're going to be back in those first and second kings days, those first and second chronicles days when we had our own king. But Jesus arrived to restore us back to how we were back in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 before sin ever entered the world. He didn't come to give us national prestige or political power. He came to give us perfect relationship with our creator. Amen. He didn't come to give us political, uh, political progress. He came to give us supernatural power through a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. He brings salvation when he arrives. And salvation means perfect restoration and, and relationship with God that was broken by the stain of sin. Jesus came so that you and I could be redeemed, so that we could be saved from a life defined by sin and separation from God. He came to restore that kind of relationship that Adam had with his creator, where they walked in the garden in the cool of the day, where God and man could commune and dwell together and live in perfect relationship with one another. Zechariah says that God has visited his people, Emmanuel, God with us. He has made his dwelling among us. That's how John put it. He has decided to tabernacle among us, to, to make camp with us. He has arrived to live among us because he wants to redeem us, to buy us back from our own sin, our own pride, and to restore a relationship with us that was broken thousands of years ago. So salvation then isn't about doing certain things or changing things so that we can uh, rise higher on some spiritual ladder and finally find God. Salvation is about God humbling himself and lowering himself to come and find us. When Jesus arrives, he brings salvation. Secondly, we see that when Jesus arrives, he brings freedom. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us to show mercy promised to our fathers. We should be saved from our enemies and, and, and taken from the hand of those who hate us. Some translations here say that we should be delivered from our enemies and the hand of all who hate us. Saved from the hand of our enemies. Delivered 
from the hand of our enemies. When Jesus arrives, he comes to snatch us out of bondage and entrapment of the enemy. I want you to listen very carefully to this. A relationship with Jesus is not primarily about heaven or hell. I want you to hear that. A relationship with Jesus is not primarily about heaven or hell. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is primarily about being set free from the thing that had us bound for hell in the first place. Salvation isn't about being free from the consequences of sin. It's not a free pass to get away with sin and he'll forgive you anyway. Salvation is about being free and delivered from and finding freedom from sin itself. I have heard a false gospel preached my entire life that you'll always sin and you'll never be free from it and that's why we need grace. And that is not good news and that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That kind of news just says that you'll always stay the same, you'll always be stuck in the same rut, always stuck in the same addictions and the same bondage. You can't change, and hopefully maybe if you say the right prayers and you go to church the right amount of times and you get your ticket and your little card filled out when you go to the altar, maybe you'll make it into heaven by the skin of your teeth. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus bled and died on a cross for you, not just simply to forgive you of your sin, but to deliver you from your sin. Before you came to Christ, you couldn't help but sin. That's who you were. You were a sinner. But after Christ arrives, after he comes into your life, you can and you should find freedom from sin in your life. You can live a life of consistent victory over sin. You can over overcome temptation. You can quit cussing. You can quit drinking. You can be delivered from the lust of the eyes and the flesh. You can kill greed and selfishness in your life. You don't have to stay stuck in sin. Why? Because when Jesus arrives, he brings freedom with him. It is for freedom, Paul says, that Christ has set you free. We just sang about it. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So no more saved slaves. No more of this, I'm going to heaven, but I'm still struggling and I'm going to be an addict my whole life and I'm going to be stuck in this my whole life. No more of that stuff. No. Even if I struggle and make a mistake today, I believe God can set me free. I believe he can deliver me. I believe he can keep me from picking up that bottle. I believe he can keep me from smoking that joint. I believe he can set me free. Advent reminds us that he is the ultimate abolitionist. And he has no desire to keep you in bondage to those things which have attached themselves to you and held you back for so long. Advent reminds us that just like Israel was once imprisoned by evil political powers who oppressed them and suppressed them, they looked forward to a day when a Messiah would arrive to set them free. And you and I, we living in America, thankfully, have a lot of freedoms, but there's still a lot of spiritual bondage that we're facing in America, a lot of spiritual junk that gets in and oppresses us and suppresses us, and it's called sin. And sin is nothing but a slave master. And Jesus comes to break the chains of slavery off of all of us. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor and an anti-Nazi activist. And he said this about Advent. He said, a picture of Advent would be like being in a prison cell in which one waits and hopes and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. The door of freedom has to be open from the outside. 
Jesus has come to set us free from the bondage of sin. And how silly would it be for him to open up the prison door but us to remain in the cell? Advent reminds us that we were once in a prison cell. We were totally dependent on someone from outside coming to set us free. We hoped and we waited. And when he finally came to open the door, we ran toward freedom. When Jesus arrives, freedom comes with him. Third, when Jesus arrives, he brings righteousness. Watch what Zechariah says right after he talks about freedom. He says that we, being delivered, being set free from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, serve God, without fear, in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. Once we've been delivered, once we've been set free, we will serve him in holiness and righteousness. We've been saved and brought into a right relationship with our creator. We've been delivered or he's delivering us. We're in the process of being free from sin in our lives. And now we are charged and empowered to live a holy and righteous life for God the rest of our lives. See, some of y'all thought holiness churches were just the ones with the buns and the long skirts. No, we are a holiness church because we believe that we can live a life of righteousness before God, that we can live a life free from sin, a victorious over sin, and we can live a life of holiness and righteousness and justice. What does biblical righteousness look like? What does biblical justice look like? It looks like when Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. It looks like when Jesus says when we see a man in need, we give him the shirt off our own back. Righteousness looks like the meek inheriting the earth. It looks like the merciful being shown mercy. It looks like forgiving a brother and a neighbor. Holiness looks like giving more than we take, like it's more blessed to give than to receive. Righteousness looks like he who has no sin casts the first stone. Righteousness looks like welcoming the stranger and the alien. It looks like mercy extended to a thief on a cross. Holiness looks like loving your enemy and praying for your enemy. Righteousness looks like calling out and exposing sin like racism and sexism and gossip and slander. The prophet Amos wrote it and Martin Luther King Jr. quoted it. He said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Righteousness means showing kindness in the midst of persecution and adversity. Holiness looks like a good Samaritan crossing to the other side of the road to rescue even his enemy in a time of need. Righteousness looks like caring for widows and orphans, which is perfect religion. Holiness looks like loving the unlovable. It looks like loving the ones that don't smell too good. It's like um, loving the ones that don't make as much money as you make or don't live as nice of a house as you make or, or have or don't, don't have the same social standing as you. Here's the thing. Almost all of those things are impossible on my own. On my own, I can be a selfish, self-absorbed, self-centered, materialistic, egotistical narcissist. Like, I, I can be those things. But when Jesus arrives, he brings all that righteousness and holiness with him, when he dwells in the center of my life and he sets up habitation in the depths of my spiritual being and he deposits all of his holiness and all of his righteousness into your life and my life and he grows you and he challenges you and he prompts you by the Holy Spirit. And if you learn to yield to him and you learn to obey that still small voice, he will begin to change you from the inside out. And pretty soon you will be walking in holiness and you will be walking in righteousness because when Jesus arrives, he brings righteousness with him.
finally, last one, finally, we see in Zechariah's prophecy that Jesus will bring one last gift. When Jesus arrives, he brings peace. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light in the darkness and in the shadow of death, he will guide our feet into the way of peace. John the Baptist's job is to prepare the hearts of the people to follow Jesus in the way of peace. The path of Jesus is the path of peace, and he is the prince of peace, and he leads us into peace. Angels proclaimed when he was born, goodwill to all men and peace on earth. He preached peace and personal conflict and peace in our relationship with our creator. He spoke peace to the storm. He spoke peace to a culture ravaged by violence and war. Jesus arrives, and he's the prince of peace. Where he goes, peace goes with him. In the Old Testament, there's a beautiful passage of prophetic scripture in Isaiah. And the prophet says that one day, when the Messiah arrives, the people will beat their swords into plowshares and beat their spears into pruning hooks. Let's put that in 21st century language. One day, when the Messiah arrives, people will retrofit their tanks into tractors and their missile silos into grain silos. That there is a time of peace that Jesus is coming to establish on this earth. You know, there's an old gospel song that says, when we reach that place of perfect relationship with Jesus, down by the riverside, we will lay down our sword and shield and study war no more. John Lennon he just might have prophesied when he wrote Happy Christmas. And so this is Christmas for weak and for strong, for rich and for poor ones. The world is so wrong. And so happy Christmas for black and for white, for yellow and red ones. Let's stop all the fight. And in the background, children singing, war is over if you want it. War is over now. Old John might have gotten a few things wrong in his life, but I think the Holy Ghost rubbed up against him with that song. Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God, means that peace has finally come. All we have to do is want it. War is over if you want it. When Jesus arrives, he brings peace. I want you to stand with me. Katie, if you'll come and be ready to lead us in worship. What are you at war with in your life? Most of us probably aren't walking around carrying swords, waging war on people. But our words can be pretty sharp. We can be at war with our spouse, at war with a child. Maybe at war with your boss. Maybe you're even at war with God. You've been fighting that battle for way too long. See, when Jesus arrives, he doesn't come empty-handed. He comes bearing gifts. We celebrate Christmas and we give gifts around a tree. And, but really, what we're celebrating is what Jesus brought for us in a gift brought salvation. Maybe you're not saved today. Maybe you're not in right relationship with your God. 
and your creator. And you need to get that right today. You're not promised tomorrow. You need to get that right. Maybe that's what we talked about. He brings salvation. Maybe you need that. Or maybe you're saved and you love Jesus, but you're not quite free from some things in your life. You're struggling. Maybe even with cigarette addiction. And you're, you're like, you know, I know that's not healthy for me. It's not good for me, but I can't quit. You're struggling with lust. You're struggling with sexual addiction or sexual issues. When Jesus arrives, he comes with freedom. and He can set you free. When he comes, he, he brings righteousness. And maybe you're just, you're a baby Christian or you're not growing in certain areas or it's hard for you to love your enemy or it's, it's hard for you to do those things like turn the other cheek and you've got an anger issue maybe and you're dealing with that. When Jesus arrives, he brings righteousness. He can begin to develop and grow within you the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness. He can grow those things inside of you because when he arrives, he brings righteousness. Maybe you're at war with your wife or your husband or a sibling or your job. Maybe you're even warring with God over some things. You've been angry at him. Blaming God for some things that went wrong in your life that didn't work out the way you wanted them to. And you've had a heart of war set against God for a long time. And today, it's time to lay down that sword and shield. This altar. If you need special prayer this morning, if you say, I'm not saved, I need to be saved. I'm not free. I need to be free. I'm not living righteously. I need to live righteously. Or I'm still battling and I need some peace in my life. I want to pray with you this morning. She's going to sing and she's going to lead us and I want you to come. You won't come along, alone, I promise you. Someone will come with you. I'll be here with you. Because we're not going to embarrass you or call you out. But don't miss an opportunity to find that peace and that freedom and that salvation today. So I'm going to pray and she's going to sing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would give us the boldness right now to step out. Confess our need before you because when you arrive, you have the gifts we need to face this life. In Jesus' name.
righteousness and you have brought peace. Lord, help us to walk as we leave this place in peace and walk in the freedom that comes from you and walk in the righteousness that only comes from you, Lord. Lord, help us to walk out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Father, I thank you.